John 7. We ready to go? All right, John 19. John 19, verses number 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Be seated, if you will. Let me pray with you, and then I'll, I'll give you what's on my heart and trust it'll be a help to us. Lord, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you, Father, for what you've been doing in my own heart, in my own life today. And I want to thank you, Lord, for these dear, precious men of God, that, Lord, you've given opportunities to express what you're doing in their heart today. I ask you to bless them, Lord, other men that will be coming and going here in the meeting. I want to ask you to please help them, Lord. Father, we're living in complex hours. And, Lord, in my heart, I feel like the only hope we have is, Father, is for you to move, Lord, like you've never moved before. I'm going to ask you to work with us today and to help us, Lord, as we try to do your will now. God, give us help. Help help me to say the right things, Lord, but help these dear people that are here. We'll love you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, let me let me just give you a little brief here where we are and what, what I'm dealing with and how my thoughts have been running in the last little while. But we've been concentrating in my life anyway on yesterday morning on the theme of Calvary. So when I use the word theme, you understand that I'm talking about maybe a sub-cheek or a thread or something that moves through, you know, uh, the, the Calvary. So the theme of Calvary is seen in the seven statements that Christ makes when he's on the cross. And he starts in verse in Luke 23 by saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he says uh, in Luke 23, he says to that thief, Very I say unto thee, today shall thou be with me in paradise. Then the third thing he said is the one we read here. Then the fourth thing that Christ said is recorded in Matthew where Christ said, Eli, Eli, Lama, related to the forgiveness of sin. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So what he's doing, he's announcing that theme that will run through every statement that he makes. And so the second thing he said was to the thief, Verily I say to thee, today shall thou be with me in paradise. So he announces his desire to forgive sin, 
Then we come to the thief. He shows the demonstration of forgiveness of sin. He is demonstrating his forgiveness. And, I, and this is how I look at it. In the weakest hour physically that he ever had on earth, he retains the power to save even in a weakened state. How much more can he save today sitting on the glorified throne of God? Amen. So then we come to the, the, the third thing he said, and that's what I want to deal with, but, I, I, but I'm going to hold off telling you about it. But then you move on through, and I'll just give you the last one. The last thing Christ said was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So how does that relate to the forgiveness of sin? How I view it as this now. He is showing us the destiny of every forgiven sinner. Every forgiven sinner is destined for the good hands of God. Hallelujah. Say, I know where I'm going. Amen. So, Brother Wells, where are you going? Well, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, well, I will say, well, I, I think this. I think that I'm experiencing the destiny of his hand before I'll ever see the glories of heaven. Amen. I am destined for the good hands of our great God. And I feel some of that here now. Here's what I want to deal with this afternoon. I'll be quickly as I can move along. I want to talk to you a minute from the verses we read on the devotion of Christ to those that are forgiven. Is Christ really devoted to those that are forgiven? So how in the world will we get this in here? Well, I want to remind you again now, and I, I, I think I'm going to, well, I'm going to bypass a couple of things, but, but anyway, here's what I'm going to do. Christ said this. The Bible says when, when, he, when he saw his mother standing by and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. Now, how do I interpret that? Uh, uh, this, this is my take on it. Now, you might have a different idea, but this is, I'm preaching right now, so we'll use my take. So here's how I look at it. And that is, I interpret what he said here based on John's response to what he said. John, when he said, Behold thy mother, John responded and took Mary to his own home. And we don't know how long she was there, but, but, but and could have been the rest of her life. I don't know. But, but this I do know. Immediately, John understood of what Christ was saying, and he took her to his own home. Now, I interpret it like this. When Christ said to Mary, Behold thy son, I don't think he's saying to look on me on the cross. I somehow I think that he's saying, look on John. I think that's what Mary's understanding, for you to look on John. And when he said to John, Behold thy mother, he knew that Jesus was saying, I want you to look on Mary, my mother. So how do we relate all this uh, to the devotion of the forg- to those that are forgiven? Now, I hope I got you thinking, or at least wondering. Now, here's what we want to do. And I know it's going to be a little strange, but just stay with me. It'll take me, a lo- it'll take me longer to get there than it will to give you the message. So I want to, I want to say a couple of things about Mary.
And I'm going to say this gently and kindly, and I want you to understand. I am not attacking the Catholics. I do not agree with their doctrine, but I'm not attacking them. I will say that in the Christian spirit that I believe God's helped me with. But I'm going to give you five things that the Roman Catholics teach about Mary. And you can find this on any Catholic website that you want to look at. Here is what they say. They say that Mary is the mother of God. All right, so that's what they're teaching. And now, granted, she is the mother of Jesus, who is God in the flesh. But she is not the mother of God the Father. Oh, no. Now, if she is, that means this. That means if she is really the mother of God, that means her mother and her father were gods. That means that their mother and their father were gods as well, if she's the mother of God. And so, and, uh, and so here's something else they teach. They teach what's called the perpetual virginity. Now, that's in there. They mean that this. They mean that she was a virgin before conception, during conception, and after conception. Now, I just have one little problem with that. I, I can swallow this, that she's a virgin before and she's a virgin during, but I can't swallow her a virgin after. Here's why. Because Matthew 13, 55 said, and if you'll just number them, there are four sons that are listed and at least two daughters. She has had at least six children after Christ was born. So I think that eliminates her being a perpetual virgin forever. So the, the third thing I want to make mention of is they teach what's called immaculate conception. And uh, I always thought that had to do with her conceiving Christ, but that's not what they mean at all. They mean in the Immaculate Conception, they mean that she was conceived with the original sin. Now, all you got to do is be logical about that. So if she's conceived without the original sin, that means her mother and father with the without original sins, their mother and their fathers without was original sin. You hear that? So, so that just cannot be. But now, hang with us a second now. They also teach the assumption of Mary. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's what they want us to mean, think about. They want us to believe that Mary was taken to heaven bodily and sold. They're, they're saying, that, and they really teach that the only two bodies in heaven are Jesus and Mary. That's what it means when they say the assumption. Well, I just got a question. Whatever happened to Enoch and Elijah? I mean, what happened to them? Well, if Mary and Jesus are the only two bodies there. But I will tell you this. i tell you this what I believe. I know it's true. See, I don't know what happened to Enoch, and I don't know what he said. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know what happened, and I don't know what God did, but somehow or another, uh, Elijah and Enoch lost their blood somehow before they got there. Amen. I don't know how, but this I know. I know that Enoch is there and Jesus, and, uh, Jesus 
That means she is able to mediate between God and man. But that is not what we mediator And then they say she's an advocate, but we know there's only one. Now, with that said, I hope it didn't bore you on that. Here, now stay with me, I want you to just listen and uh, stay with me. Let me get where we're going and then you'll, you'll appreciate what I'm going to say later. So number one here, I want you to take a biblical look at Mary's position. What is Mary's position? Let's look number one at her natural position. All right, now I've got a, I've got a, I've got a memory, I've got a memory, a memory project for you. I want you to remember this word, all. Y'all remember that word now, don't you? All. All right, so now I want you to remember the definition of all. It means any, every, the whole, thoroughly. Now, don't miss that now. It means any, every, the whole, thoroughly. Now, don't forget what we're talking about. We're talking about now Mary's natural position. So what is Mary's natural position? Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all, any, every, the whole, thoroughly. So death passed upon all men, for they all have sinned. Any, every, the whole, thoroughly. Are y'all getting this now? What I'm telling you is this. That word in, that word all, includes me and you, but also includes Mary. Mary cannot be eliminated from the word all. That's what the Bible said. The Bible said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Come on now. I know this symbol, but get it. See, Mary cannot be a sinless person, neighbor like, neighbor the Catholics want to teach us they are. 
And how do I know? Because of what God's Word said. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we could go on with that. Paul said, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past. And so well, I could give you more and more about that now. Are y'all in Luke 1? I want you to go back to Luke 1. I'm going to show you a couple of things here, and I'll not be alone, but I want to show them to you. Now, here's what, I, here's what I, and I could go longer if I thought you needed it. But I want you to understand, Mary's natural position is no different than your position. Mary Mary was born with a mother and father that had a sin nature. She was born with a sin nature just like you and I have a sin nature. She is in the same boat that you and I are in. But what about her new position? So, Brother Wells... When did Mary get saved? You'll have to ask God about that. I don't know. So, but now, wait a minute now. So, did Mary, did, did Mary really have faith in God? Did she really trust God as her Lord and Savior? And if so, when did she do it? I don't know. I have no idea when Mary trusted the Lord. I don't have no idea. But I will tell you this. She shows some good she shows some good characteristics that she knows him. Look in Luke 1 and look at verse number 38. We all look at it now. So we're in the, she's in the middle here of verse 38. And Mary said, The handmaid of the Lord be unto me according to thy word. So what is she doing here? Here is what she's doing. She is submitting. She is submitting her life to this situation. Are y'all hearing me now? Is that not a trait of being born again? Submission is the absolute quality of those that are born again and saved by the grace of God. Show me a rebel, and I'll show you somebody that needs to be born again and saved by the divine grace of God. She is showing us that she has new life by the fact she's got submission in her life. Look at verse 41. And the Bible says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, we are so you see. Mary now has come to Elizabeth. She, she, the angel has exposed to her that Elizabeth is going to have a child. So Mary now comes to Elizabeth's house. And so the Bible said, Elizabeth heard her salutation. So what is a salutation? Well, it can involve a lot of things. It can involve embrace. It can involve a greeting. But it also can involve telling a story. You know what Mary is doing here? Mary has come to tell about what happened to her. Amen. Mary has come to share her spiritual experience with her friend. Is that not characteristic of those that have been born again saved by the grace of God? They've got something in them that they want to tell others what God has done for them. Amen. Look at verse 48. And the Bible says, and Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, oh my. 
Is that not characteristic of a new creature? That is, now then, uh, she don't want to magnify herself, but she wants to magnify the Lord. Look at verse 47. And my spirit that hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, y'all look at that now. There's a couple of things you'll know that. She said, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She, number one, she is acknowledging she needed a Savior. That's what she said. But wait a minute now. See that word rejoice? Y'all see that, don't you? That word rejoice means this. It means to jump up and down. Now, uh, you might have a better definition. That's what Strong said. So here's what she is. Now, we don't know when she trusted God, but we know this. But we know that then she is rejoicing. She in the back. I, I visualize this in my little pea brain. She's coming to Elizabeth. She's telling Elizabeth what happened to her. And she's not just saying, Now, Elizabeth. I'd like to report to you what happened to me. I don't think so. I think she's come and she is jumping up and down with all excitement about what God has done. You know what? Poor little old Mary would not fit in most of our Baptist churches. No, she wouldn't fit in. You know why? She'd be jumping up and down and thanking God for what God did for her. Amen. And so we can move on. So she is uh, exalting him. She's blessing his name. Now, the above statements don't tell us when she got saved, but they sure show us that maybe she's got well Joseph is in Luke 2. Mary and Joseph have gone to Jerusalem for the feast. And while they're there, you remember the story how they leave Christ behind. Christ was 12 years old, about 12, when he was there in Jerusalem. And Mary and Joseph took him and then they left him behind and went back to retrieving. Alright, so now then. That is the last biblical mention of the name Joseph. But now, the last, the lacking mention is in Matthew 13, 55. Now listen now. So the Bible said, it's not this the carpenter's son, it's not his mother uh, called Mary, and his brethren James and Joseph and Simeon and Judas and his sisters, are they not with us? So who is not mentioned? Joseph is not mentioned in that list of the names that they have of the family here. Are y'all listening to me now? So here's what I want you to get. Sometime between the time Jesus is 12 years old and the time he's 30, when he has entered the ministry, public ministry, which is 18 years, sometime in that 18-year period, Joseph has disappeared from the scene. So what does that mean? Well, stay with me and I'll show you. So she's got a predicament about her husband. But she's got a predicament about her household. What is the predicament about her household? Well, 
uh, Matthew 13, 55, which I just read to you, it says she's got that uh, Jesus, uh, well, in that family, we're assuming Joseph is gone, and I think he is. So there's Joseph and, and uh, James and Simeon and Judas and at least two sisters. There's Mary, and there's Christ on the cross, which is dying. So there's eight in that family. Christ is fixing to die. There will be seven in that family. You got that? Now, I want you to look in John 7. So here's, here's what's happened. Y'all listen to me now. So Joseph, the head of that family, has disappeared. You know, listen. When Joseph died, and I'm assuming that he died, we don't have a record of it, but I'm assuming Joseph died. He's the, Joseph is the head of that household. When Joseph died, the oldest son in that household becomes the head of that family. That would be none other than the Son of God. Jesus was the head of that family unit after Joseph disappeared from the scene. But the head of that family is now dying. The second installed head of that unit is on the cross and he's about to die. Now, I want you to see what's being left behind. Look in John 7, if you would, in verse number 1. And after these things, what Jesus walked in Gal- after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jury because the Jews sought to kill him. So the Bible said clearly here that the Jews are trying to kill Jesus over in Judea. Look at verse number three, and pick up on the atmosphere of his brothers. And they said, and he is, uh, his brethren therefore said to him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. His brethren are trying to send him back into Judea where they know he's in danger. They're trying to send him back in an atmosphere that is dangerous to him. Boy, isn't that kind hearted. In that, in that, in that, a spirit filled love for his brethren. I'm trying to show you something here. So, the, his brethren, they're left behind, they, they're maligning his safety. Look in verse number three again. And they said, his brethren, his brethren therefore said to them, Depart hence and go into Judea that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. So what they're doing here in a, in a subtle way is they're maligning his service for these men. He's saying, there you are. You're, hey, you claim to be doing all these things. Go show all this stuff to your disciples there. They're maligning his service that he was, that he was providing. Look at verse number 4. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret. And he himself seeketh to be known openly. 
If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Here's what I'm seeing here. See, I, I see them, the maligning or blaspheming or speaking impiously, he has sincerity. And then verse number four again. I, I see them, even maligning, he has selfless life. Now let's look at verse number five. Verse number five. For neither did his brethren believe in him. The head of that household is dying. Mary is going to be going back to a house filled with unbelievers. There will not be one soul in that household at that juncture believes in him. And Mary is going to be forced to go back into that atmosphere. Now, look at her problem. Here's Mary's problem. Jesus, being the firstborn son, would have become the head of the family after the demise of Joseph. With Jesus' death now, Mary will enter in this house that respected not Christ, that believed not on him. Here is what she now has. She'll be going to a family with no believing head. She'll be going into family with no believing counselor. She'll be going into family with no believing protector, with no believing provider, with no believing passion. Does Jesus really care? Does Jesus care whom he called mother is going back in an atmosphere with so little spiritual help in her life? Jesus said, Woman, behold thy son. To John he said, Behold thy mother. With seven words, with seven words, the Son of God met every need that Mary would ever have of his death. My question is, how devoted is Jesus to those whom he has forgiven? See, we try to show somewhere Mary was a sinner. Somewhere Mary was lost, just like you and I. But somewhere Mary became a forgiven sinner. And is Christ devoted to them that are forgiven? Yes. His words to John, his words to Mary, his words to John, or evidence that Christ is devoted to them that have been forgiven of their sin. How devoted is he to you? Are you forgiven? Are you forgiven? Well, is he devoted to you? Come here. Have you ever said, God, why have you ever said you did?
Again, by the way, cry, I don't believe Christ is doing this to Mary just because she is his mother. I think it includes he's doing this because she is forgiven. Show us the principle that he is a devoted to me and a forgiven child of God as he is to Mary. Are y'all hearing that today? So is he devoted enough to me to not let me go? Are y'all hear me? Yes, he devoted enough to keep me. Somebody said, I deserve to be kept. You deserve to go to jail is what you deserve to do for lying. Nobody I know deserves to him to keep us. Look, and, and every single one of us, and no matter how long we've been saved, we've sinned along the way. We've led Christ down as it were. We have, we have disobeyed him and Abraham by rights. He should have cut us off a long time ago. But his character is, I am devoted to them that I have forgiven. Now those that have washed in my blood, those I forgive them, I'm devoted to keep them in the end. Boy, I tell you, I love that John 13, 1. Having loved his own, he loved them under the end. Amen. Amen. I fretted and worried, doubted, never have. Bless you. What doubted, doubted my security, doubted a lot of things about God. But as she moved through life, if he lets us live long enough, we, li- we live through those experiences. And we look back, and we might even know, not even know how God brought us through, what he brought us through. But we look back and see how God watched over us and protected us. And we did not even know, oh, 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 oh. I remember, I remember, I remember one time uh, we were in such great need of God doing something in our church. I mean, we was in really big need. And uh, one Wednesday night, this young lady, I say young lady, she was in, uh, she was a married lady. She came on Wednesday night and she got saved. Got born again. She came two or three services. Oh, I'm telling you, she was the joy of our church for a service or two. Then somebody said, you surely ain't going over there. Don't you know what they teach? Don't you know you can't go over there if you wear pants? And you know you know how they lie. So she went away. And I said, what are you doing here, God? Don't you know we need some help? And I I, I began to wonder, God, what are you doing? I don't understand. Lord, yeah, this child got saved here under our ministry here, and you're letting him go. Less than two years later, that same girl called that church and she was more heartache than I'd ever want to put up with. 
Then, then I look back and I see how this God I wondered about was keeping me, not just keeping me eternally, but keeping me in situations and circumstances He brought me through. Amen. Bless the Lord's name. So he'll, he'll keep us. He's so devoted to me. He's going to keep you. If you stumble today, he's going to keep you. Matter of fact, the fact that, that God took her so dramatically is probably evidence that she probably knew the Lord. Amen. But now here's what I'm saying. Can you imagine how devoted God had to be to for somebody forgiven to still maintain her on his book of life record? Why would he do that? Because he is devoted to them that are forgiven. <laughs> he, he's not devoted because of good I've done. He's not devoted because of something of my, my making. He's devoted because of who he is. Hey, man, praise God. He's devoted to us that are forgiven. And uh, I was in great need. And when one of the deacons came up and said, story time, Brother Wells, do you have any needs? preacher. I said, you know me. I would normally not tell you anything. But I said, since you asked, I'll tell you. I told him what my needs were. Two years later, I've never heard from that. And several years later, I came up and I said, why was there no response? Always said, we value ourselves in always agreeing on what we do. And there was one of our brethren that did not want to uh, help you in that matter. So they just let me starve. But wait a minute now. How devoted is to his how devoted is he to his forgiven? Jeffrey, a lost man, knocked on my door. Lost man knocked on the door. And when he reached his hand out, he handed me eight hundred one dollar bills. Or you say that could have been God. It sure spent like it was God's. Amen. Amen. Now why? Is that because of something good I've done? No! It's because that God that forgave my sin is devoted and he is forgiven. Amen. Amen. Oh, how could we go? We could go on and on and on. And I'm going to quit. But uh, we could take this in every area you have as as a Christian. One, uh, one of the couples here yesterday, was it y'all? I can't, I mean, one of the couples that was here yesterday, uh, they came to me at services yesterday, and they said, 
eight years ago we came to this church. Are y'all here that spoke to me? Okay, then they're not here. But they came to me. They said, Brother Will said, eight years ago, we came to this church broken. They said we were part of another church. And church members of our church helped our oldest son run away from home. He said it about killed me, about killed us. And and she and he are standing there, and she's weeping. She said, eight years ago we came. You got in the pulpit and preached on forgiveness. And she said, God brought us through with that message. To y'all hear what I'm telling you. This God is so devoted to you as a forgiven one. He had burned the world down for you. Story time. I'm a young preacher fixing to go to Bible college. I work for a company. And I'm the, I am the office manager and production control manager of what then was over a $10 million business. That'd be like a, that'd be like a hundred million dollars now. So I turned my notice in, I'm leaving, I'm going to college. Now listen to me now. And so, uh, we had this big supervisor's meeting. I'm sitting in it in the meeting and the windows to the north is open and I can see this huge cloud coming. And I'm telling you, I, I hope to drop dead if I'm lying, but God the Holy Ghost said, lightning is going to strike this building. I'm sitting there and, and uh, it wasn't long before I saw Flashes of light jumping from those fluorescent bulbs in that room was in. So we went ahead with the meeting. And it wasn't long, somebody come rushing in. They said, they said, the building's on fire, get out of here. And Brother Forbes, that building burnt to the ground. My office is in that building. All my paperwork is in that building. Jeff, all my mistakes are in that building. God burnt that building, slapped to the ground. I mean, nothing was saved. And the the, the management said, Mr. Wells, we want you to stay another two weeks, if you will, help us get on the ground. She said, I did not know that what they would pay me for all that important to me. And God burnt a building down to meet my needs. <laughs> I'm telling you, brother, this God is devoted to you if you're forgiven. Don't you doubt him. This God is devoted to you. 
Amen. We ought to take we ought to take a lap and run through Mark's Hill thirty mile an hour just to defy the speed limit. Amen. It is foolish to be religious, but it is sure important to be forgiven. Son, when, when, when we are labeled forgiven, we have the entire sum of God devoted to us. Amen. Boy, that ought to put us on our face. Worship and praising him. A God that's watched over us the way he has, took care of us the way he has. And even with all of our failures, yet this God is still neighbor devoted to those that are forgiven. Amen. Are you forgiven? Isn't it wonderful? You know, I honestly, I didn't know what I was getting into. Did you? When I got saved, that night I got saved, I was just a 14-year-old boy when I got saved. But I knew I wanted to be saved. I knew I wanted it, you know. I didn't know what I was involved, but I just, you know, I want to be saved. I, I don't, as a matter of fact, I don't ever remember a day in my life when I didn't want to be saved. That night God saved me. I had no idea what I was getting into. And that's not on the negative end. That's on the positive side. <laughs> Amen. It's like, it's like these poor old sinners. You know, they, they, see, they see salvation as a, as a, we used to have a big old funnel that put gas in our tractor. Y'all, y'all don't, I'm sure y'all don't know that about. But it was a great big old metal, you know, galvanized funnel. Had a great big old opening and would would take, you know, I, I, I did what I could. You know, a little kid didn't, couldn't do much, but I remember the funnel. You'd pour the gasoline in that funnel. Glug, 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 glug. And it'd go round and around and around and around. And the more it went around, the narrower the circle got. Till it finally in that little hole. That's how sinners look on this business of being saved. You're putting me from a life of liberty into a narrow thing here. Yeah, but we that are Christians, we turn the funnel upside down. Yeah. We enter through the straight gate. Amen. The Lord God, what a world it opens us up into. Amen. You know why? Because he's devoted to his forgiven. Nothing like being forgiven. Amen. Well, I hope you got something out of that. Let's pray. I'm done, Lord. I want, to, I want to tell you again, thank you, Father. Lord, I take my place in dust and ashes, Lord. And I, I take my place, Lord, among the unworthy. But, Lord, I lift my voice and my praises to Thee for being so devoted to us, Lord, meeting our need, securing us 
keeping us, guiding us, directing us because you're devoted to us. Father, just like you were devoted to Mary, I want to thank you for being devoted to us. I want to thank you for being devoted to my family. I want to thank you for being devoted to this church and other churches like, like faith. Lord, that have trusted you. Please help us to see you better and love you better. Walk with you better, Lord. We'll love you in Christ's sweet name.